Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hello, I'm Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Lori Richardson. Before we jump right into our conversation, I want to give you a little background on Lori. She spent over 15 years in the sales trenches and then launched her sales strategy firm, Score More Sales, where she works with mid-market companies, helping their leadership hire better sellers and evaluate existing sales teams for people, process, and pipeline. Using data around core sales competencies, she can help affect shorter sales cycles and increase revenues. Recognized as a top sales influencer by Salesforce and LinkedIn, Lori also hosts an award-winning podcast, Conversations with Women in Sales, and she's the author of the forthcoming book, She Sells. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's such a privilege to be here. Just thrilled. Excited to excited to have you here. There's so much for us to, to discuss. So let me jump right in with the first question, which is, given all that I just said that you do, when you meet people and they say, now, Lori, what do you do? What do you say? It's funny because, you know, I was a, a preschool teacher years before, before I got into sales and I like to have really simple explanations. So I like to think that I help people and I help the leaders of companies to improve their sales. And, and that's the simplest thing that I can tell people. Yeah, well, and I think it, it, what's interesting is each of the things that I just described about what you do all have an element of helping people with sales, right? And even the podcast is, yeah. is part of that dynamic. Yeah, so, it's important. It's important to be a helper in this world, I think. So to go from um, teacher and, and then uh, I, I would just want you to share a little bit about this journey because it really is a pretty fascinating uh, I remember the old uh, A&E television program, Laurie, the tagline for the show biography was every life has a story. Yeah. And that's certainly true with you. So can you tell us about you know, your journey, um, you know, as a single mom being in technology sales, really during the early years of uh, PCs yeah. and uh, kind of how you got to that? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a family-run business, so my grandmother had a fine women's apparel store, and I would go there after school during middle school, and you know I did that for all all the years that that I was in school. And um, I left school when I when I got done with high school, I went and got a degree in early childhood education because I wanted to be a teacher. So I started working with kids and then I, um, you know, got married, pregnant, you know, so suddenly got divorced <laughs> and I was a single mom. And the, the short story is that I couldn't support a family on the very low wages that they still pay and paid back then uh, in, in that childcare sure. group. So I thought maybe I can sell something um, tech, technical um, technology was really booming. And so I just applied everywhere and got, got in with a company that was a reseller of technology. So 
I sold the first IBM personal computers and I sold the first many of the first Apple computers. And there was a brand called Compaq. You you may remember. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I sold thousands, thousands of and uh and, you know, it was a very, very fun time. Uh, it, it was a time when that technology, everybody wanted it and people would get in line. They would actually put deposits down because there wasn't enough product. So that was the good old days. Wow. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. And my first experience, this job with, um, you know, men and women in sales, everybody got along. We were all young. And I, I was leaving, you know, I, I left work at the end of the day and went and, and be, was it my single mom self. So I wasn't part of, you know, a big partying crowd or anything, but I, I understand that did happen as well. <laughs> and it was just a great time to be young. And so I, you know, I, I just learned a lot. And I always, as, as we talked a little bit before we started recording, I wasn't a technologist, but I paired myself up with with engineers and people who can answer the questions. So I was a go-between, I was a connector and I've always been that way. And I contend anyone can sell in that way, the most technical products, if you can uh, uh, surround yourself with the people who can do all the detail work that you don't have to. So let me let me fast forward a little bit more then. So you're you're in the sales world yourself, you're selling compacts and IBMs and early days of Apple. And then you um, end up in Boston working for a company that uh, gets acquired by Thomson Reuters, who had a pretty renowned corporate university. Just pick it up at that point in terms of the, the inside sales team you were managing and kind of how that set the stage for you for your next reinvention. Yeah, I was really fortunate when I moved to Boston, uh, I created a couple of different jobs, uh, positions at this company, and they were very accepting of it. So the first one was that I built an inside sales team for this company that never had an inside sales team before. And one of the things I think is important for people listening is that you need to know, you need to get a good sense of what is going on within the company. And what I saw at the time that I had this inside sales team going was that the people that worked for me in inside sales also had a regional manager as a boss. Mm -hmm. And it would look to, to be that we they had two bosses. And I, I knew that wasn't sustainable. And so I thought about what else was a problem that was going on in the company. And we had a lot of recent college graduates who had a hard time articulating value propositions, had a hard time putting a couple of paragraphs together. And so I put the idea to launch a corporate university and I modeled it after Thomson Reuters, who ultimately ended up buying us, which is interesting. I was going to say, you didn't they, know that though, when you started, right? No, I had no idea. And <laughs> they were a really great resource for me. And I did classes for them. And, you know, they flew me to San Francisco from Boston and we had a really great uh, thing going. And, and it tied in with what I knew about sales and then also about education and helping people learn more. So sales teams had, you know, we had some really great offsites and um, it was just, a, it was a wonderful time, but ultimately the company was being sold and they didn't need uh, another one of me as the director of education. So they became my first client, uh, client. 
and I launched my own company at that point. So, so let's go ahead. Uh, I want to just go back to your experience because you started in technology. You have a unique understanding that, frankly, many people in the sales training realm, you know, they may have come, they were trained through the Xerox professional selling system or one of the, the, the uh, offshoots of that program. But, but they weren't technology people. They were in-person facilitators. Um, they were in-person, you know, experts at kind of interacting with a room. But you had this technology element from early on. What's been your experience over your career, and in particular over the last couple of years, um, as relates to getting salespeople to adopt technology, whether it's CRM or whether it's sales enablement technology? I think the biggest thing I've learned is that it revolves around leadership. If leadership doesn't support it and doesn't check on it and monitor progress, um, you know, reps don't want to do it. And I don't blame them. I, when I was a rep, I only did what I had to do. You know, I, I didn't do things just because somebody asked me nicely. But if, you know, if my boss could give me a reason why this was important, then, then I, I would do it. So many times when things fail and they're technically related, it's because people threw the towel in. Oh, it's too hard. We don't have time to do this. You know, we do things like evaluating um, sales candidates and sales teams. And when people say, oh, it takes too long, you know, we're just going to cut corners, then, then it, it, you can't see success that way. So when people follow the guidelines, and, and I'm sure that's true of any tech, um, you can't just do what you think you want to do. You, you have to follow the process, right? Yeah. So let's pivot to your involvement with the Sales Enablement Society. Yeah. Um, we're a company that when we started in this industry 10 years ago, it wasn't even called Sales Enablement. It hadn't converged into that. Um, it had multiple different names kind of as we've arrived at this level. And I think honestly, the Sales Enablement Society um, helped inform Gartner and Forrester and others to, to circle the wagons that this is the name of what we're going to call this thing. Yeah. So I'm just curious, uh, what has been your role, uh, what, what's been your exposure to that organization, and um, why do you think sales enablement is important to organizations today? Well, I was an early adopter, so I, I heard about this group forming, and I wasn't really sure if I had much to contribute, but I thought, well, I'm going to go to this event. There was an event in Florida. Um, West Palm Beach, I believe. I, I can't remember what year that was. And uh, and it was really great because there were a whole bunch of people who also didn't really know where things were headed, but we just we used a bunch of flip charts and whiteboards and wrote out a lot of things. And I, I think what it taught me was that there was no common language for so many things that were happening in this sales enablement world. And the worst thing was that someone would come in to help with sales enablement and they would just get dumped on with 50 different uh, roles and, and different tasks that they didn't even know if they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so they helped to sort through, here's what people you know, really do in this role. And here's, here's when you need to bring in this other you know, team or department. And, and I, it was very much uh, a, 
a sorting out of who's doing what and a lot of people comparing notes more than anything. Now, I never became an officer, but I have been to a number of regional meetings, local meetings, and I've spoken at conferences. And I know they're going to meet up again in September in Atlanta. So um, that's a, it, it's a very interesting group. And uh, no doubt there will be some fantastic uh, presentations this coming uh, session. So Lori, let me ask you, when you go back to that time, um, I'm sure some of the people in that room were in the sales training business as well, yeah. right? How how did the how did they begin to redefine? Here's what sales training people do, and here's what sales enablement people do. Yeah, for me, I just heard the the word training has just faded away. Uh, I think everyone latches on to the newer terminology, and. I, I haven't heard, I don't hear too many people say that they're a sales trainer. I, I don't know if you do, but um, I, I'd like to ask you the same question. I don't know how it changed. Do you know how it changed? Well, it's no, it, it's so it, the, the reason I'm asking is I was in the sales training business before this. And you yeah. know, when you think about, for example, um, our chief revenue officer at Alego, George Donovan, he ran a Sandler sales training franchise. And so, oh, yeah. you know, de facto, he was in the sales training business. And right. the majority of what they did was and still do is is very much an in person instructor led, um, helping people with a sales process and helping them to deploy that sales process. And so the the framework I have is that the people most of the people in in sales enablement are much more focused on using technology to enable salespeople to do certain things during the sales process, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily as focused on the teaching of the sales process itself. Um, does that does that resonate for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I do that teaching uh, of of people because they they don't know these things. We we run into maybe because we work with smaller teams. You know, we're not all working with big SaaS companies, we, we work with manufacturing groups and we, who, by the way, some have all male uh, sales reps on their team, which is a whole nother, that's another topic for us. But, um, but people don't know some of the foundational things, what, you know, we call blocking and tackling, right? right. My right. sports analogy. And uh, so it's important for people to know that because you, you can't, and, and you can see it with some of the automation, some of the tools that the platforms that are in place for SDRs and BDRs, uh, just because you have something that shows up and says, call this person, doesn't mean that you know what to say. And the AI isn't always a hundred percent. So it's not even I, close to a hundred percent in many no, cases. It's, it's not close, but it is exciting to me to see things change and evolve. And the idea that there is better AI now than there was two years ago. And there are companies that are doing some, some really innovative things that are helping, but it won't remove the need for someone to talk to a, a seller and say, Tell me, you know, tell me about a call that you had and what went wrong and what would you do differently and and really coach them and really help them. And, and we need that human element. 
Well, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, you know, the value of kind of being in the bullpen and in this in-person environment. And I grew up in that. And there's no question there's a there's a value to it. And like you, I've tried to remain open minded. And when I when I've seen what some of our reps and some of our managers are doing with with a conversation intelligence and being able to to listen to a showreel that pulls out snippets of 15 or 20 seconds from 10 calls and then in, in a two minute blast it's sort of like here's what people are saying this is how it's playing out in in the real world and and then being able to to search by how many people use this word and then all of a sudden you can pull up you know 50 calls and you're hearing how this thing it's a level of sophistication that no one manager who had say eight or even 10 people reporting to them you just even with an encyclopedic memory, you just couldn't organize all of it and, and have the kind of data that's available today to, to be clear on what are people saying that's working, going back to your example, and then what are they saying that's not working? Yeah, and why isn't Mark successful? Or, you know, he seems to be doing the right things, but exactly. we never used to hear the both sides of the call. Yeah, And it is amazing. It, it's such a great, that was probably one of the best improvements and and you know changes that we've seen and i i love that i love seeing you know common words or the talk time well gee mark you're talking 80 percent of the time exactly right Maybe that's, you know that could be part of the problem right yeah. Yeah. Um, which by the way was true that was absolutely true <laughs> me too <laughs> so let me segue from that point. I mentioned earlier about um, you know McKinsey talking about this notion of orchestration and 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 how they see that as one of the skills that great salespeople um, will need to capitalize on going forward. What do you think is the the most important skill that modern sellers need to either develop or refine in this environment? Well, I'm going to say two things. That's all right. Um, first one is co being coachable. So that is a skill. Coachability is critical for success. Yeah. And without being coachable, um, you're, you're limited in your potential, in, yeah. in my opinion. Um, the other thing is really just the mindset. Because if, if you have a, a mindset where it's supportive to your efforts, then you can move forward and accomplish what it is that you set out to accomplish. If, you, if it's unsupportive, even with the best skills, you can teach me everything about being a consultative seller. But if ultimately I feel like I'm not going to close this deal because we've never got their business before and we're never going to get it again, um, that's my mindset. And that's something I can change. So it's one of the things that is controllable uh, among ourselves and we, we really need to keep that in mind, that it, it's not another tool that you need necessarily. It, it's, it's your mindset and then your actions that you take. So one of the things that I've observed about you, and this is not just with your podcast, and it's not just with sales enablement, um, and it's not just with being featured on, on uh, salesforce.com and, and LinkedIn as, a, as, quote, an influencer, is more and more I'm hearing from our customer base about their belief around helping salespeople develop, if you will, an identity as a thought leader. As, as the salesperson, 
not not just in the role of being an orchestrator, kind of like Ben Zander is famous for being an uh, an orchestra leader, even though he's not famous as being an, uh, playing an instrument. In the same way that uh, in in every industry, there's people and and peers of yours who I know you you know we have in common people like Tiffany Bova, right, mm -hmm. who are really well known in a in a particular area, and then that began a, this whole new career. What have you learned? about the way you're viewed as an influencer versus the way you are viewed as purely a salesperson and and how has that affected your interaction with the marketplace oh that's a, that's a that's a good question i have to say you know influencer can be kind of an overused term uh, i'm more about action than words and so i look for people like a tiffany bova out there who wrote an excellent book and who gives excellent talks her podcast is amazing as well yeah. and and so you know to me that's a thought leader uh, uh for me i believe as a woman in sales it's really important to have a voice and have an opinion there are a lot of women, I love them all dearly, but many women will lurk on LinkedIn and they won't necessarily uh, offer, uh, other than liking something, they won't necessarily offer an opinion. And for a number of reasons, we don't have a lot of time to go into that today, um, but I would just encourage women in particular, even if you're busy, if you're a leader or a rep, and maybe you have a family, maybe not, but find some time, block out some time to help build your voice online. Because in the end, um, you'll, you may pro probably be going to another company, another organization at some point. And it's really important for people to know who you are outside of the bubble of your company. Many of us get so wrapped up in it and we're so busy. Uh, I'm just saying that I don't think there's a better way to build your personal brand than than on LinkedIn. And even if it's just to comment on other people's posts, but more than a like and maybe less than, you know, your own post. But it's do a, something. It's a it's a great point, Laurie. And I, I mean, you could also argue that um, if you say I don't have any time to do anything on LinkedIn, then it, it may be a good idea to say then uh, eliminate anything on Facebook and use the time on LinkedIn instead, because that one will actually likely pay dividends in a way that Facebook probably won't, right? For most yeah. people. Um, and and the reason I'm I'm I was I'm calling you out because Tiffany Bova would probably say the same thing about you, right? And and you know you might think of your because you're you're you know it's you, uh, you might think well I'm I'm actually not like her, but what I'm what I'm realizing is that anyone who's coming to work with you at uh, at sales pros or in the context of any of the, the things that you're doing, just Googling you a little bit, they're gonna come to the, the, the first meeting with you with a perception about who you are, what you're capable of, a little bit about your style and kind of maybe, maybe just a little bit about your unique value, value proposition that informs them before they ever get on the phone with you or, or on a Zoom call. Yeah. And so that's the piece that you know we're trying to get people to think about because if we know that 60 or 70 percent of the buyer's journey happens before they ever talk to you the question is what breadcrumbs are they finding about you not just the company not just the product but you as that individual because there's there's a number of different people who could act as a sherpa guide but are, are right. you the one with the reputation to get them up the mountain and down safely 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've literally done deals because someone saw something I posted on LinkedIn and it caused a conversation. Also, um, it, I, I couldn't agree with you more that it, it's, it's so important for people to look because every week I'll think about, oh, we got some great leads and, you know, some people came to us, but who didn't come to us, you know? Who maybe went to our website and said, eh, I don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know that. I, I don't know that anyway. I don't know who I lost or who, whose opportunity I didn't get a chance. And that's why building your brand is so important. It's, it's a great point. And see, you're asking those questions because you have that mindset, right? You're already thinking about, we did well, but what could we have done better? Yeah, right. Um, let's pivot because you've hinted at it a little bit uh, already. I'm the father of two daughters. Um, my mother was a teacher. and um, I, I, I was raised um, in large part uh, by a single mother as well. So I'm, I'm very conscious of my worldview about sort of what women are capable of um, may be very different because I grew up with um, a mother who pretty much could do anything, right? So, you know, with respect to my daughters, um, yeah. I, I bring that to bear, but I'm very and acutely aware that there are definite things that my own daughters told me. She's like, no, dad, like it's, it's not easy being a young woman and doing this kind of thing for these reasons. And they're reasons I, I wasn't even really aware of. It's, it's definitely improved. Um, but there's no question. There's a, a difference in dynamic for, I think, young women getting into sales today than, than there may still be for, for men. Yeah. There's a lot we could talk about with women sales pros, but just in the next couple minutes, um, I'd love to get your, perspective on what do you think is working and what do you think needs to be fixed relative to having more women uh, in the sales role? Well, the one thing that is working is that there are many more communities and groups of women getting together, women and men, uh, male allies are welcome in most of these groups and organizations. And the last count I did, there's about 12 different communities and groups. I actually post them on women's sales pros on our blog. I saw so that. Yeah. People can click right to them. And, yep. and by multiple voices, many more voices saying the same thing, we're going to affect more change for more women in sales. I mean, I'm just devastated that women are still underrepresented at every level in selling and in particular in sales leadership. Right. The higher you go, the less women. And it doesn't make sense. There's no reason for that to be other than old traditions die hard. Right. And, and so enough people now understand that, you know what, women are pretty good. In fact, some people think, you know, they might be better at some things. And, and so I'm just encouraging more of that. And, and with, you know, by not having to be a road warrior now, Mark, as a leader, yes. uh, if I can be a sales leader and work remotely, that encourages more women to, to be in that role. If the leadership will, you know, will think about it and will encourage that as well. And if women are out there and ready to step up and take that role. So it's kind of a, little vicious cycle where people say, well, there aren't, we look for women, we couldn't find any. And, and the women are saying, well, I, you know, I love an opportunity. I don't know who's hiring. And so we, we all need to communicate well, speak up, build your brand online so that people know who you are. And, um, and, and I think we will see more women and, and not just women, but people of color 
um, black and brown folks who traditionally have not been in the B2B sales loop. So I'm looking for uh, sales teams that reflect who our buyers are. And, and that's what we need. And so if, if anyone is working towards that, if they, you know, if they have challenges, I'm happy to talk to them at any point. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to get to that in just a moment here, because I know we're going to have people that are going to want to know more about you. The last question, Lori, is this, of, of all the people you've interviewed on Women Sales Pros um, and all the different comments that uh, you've collected, what would you say is the biggest insight or the most common theme that has emerged from what you've learned from all those conversations? It would probably be the whole conversation around imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. because for some reason, women are just sure that they're the only ones that have it. And, and I've talked to men, lots of men, um, many, many different men who would agree that they have had imposter syndrome. And, that, and I think breaking the stereotypes that um, talking about confidence as well, that's a, I believe that if, if you have competence with a P, um, <laughs> you have confidence when you have competence. And I, I don't think it's something lacking in women. I've had many conversations on the podcast and elsewhere because I just think that women are more verbal about it. Yes. And, and men have learned to kind of just shut up and, you know, just get the job done through sports and a lot of other things, just how we were raised, just, you know, buckle, suck it up, you know, buckle down and, and, you know, women are, we're just raised differently. So um, if we can be competent, we know what we're doing that brings confidence. So that's, that's a big debate that I, I love talking to people about. Uh, whether we really are women really less confident than men I, I just don't see it well Lori, this has been so great just to catch up with you um in, in this wide-ranging conversation and um if people want to to reach out to you and they want to know more about you or about your podcast uh or about women sales pros what's the best way for them to do that best way is through linkedin i'm at Scoremore Sales on LinkedIn. And if you say in the connection how, you know, that you heard this uh, podcast, that would be helpful. Otherwise, um, I get a lot of requests, so I don't get to them so quickly. Uh, we also have a website, womensalespros.com. Uh, we have scoremoresales.com and then Twitter, Facebook, you, you name it. Uh, <laughs> you can find us, just okay. Google, Google me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Lori, listen, I want to thank you very much uh, for being part of the show, and I look forward to continuing our conversation. Yeah, thanks for all you do, Mark. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment, and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.